Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Marlene Even. We know Australia is a diverse country. Almost half of Australians have a parent born overseas. And that means many of us speak multiple languages. So for the 5.5 million people in Australia that speak a language other than English, having a new service in multiple languages is crucial. The COVID-19 pandemic highlighted the importance of multilingual news. It was a time where the public health advice and regulations changed rapidly. Public broadcasters, community and First Nations media stepped up to interpret the news quickly and accurately. This week on Fourth Estate, we discuss the role of multilingual news for Australia and how the media can communicate in a more inclusive and accessible way. To discuss this and more, we are joined by David Waugh, Director of Audio and Language Content at SBS. David previously spent 15 years at ABC in a number of senior executive roles, including ABC's International Services. Russell Anderson is also joining us, the Chief Executive Officer of the NEMBC, the National Ethnic and Multicultural Broadcasters Council, the peak organisation representing ethnic community broadcasters, and Kelly Bayliss, the Recording and Production Coordinator of the Aboriginal Interpreter Service. The Aboriginal Interpreter Service started to create news bulletins with ABC News in Creole, Walpuri and Yolnu Mata, and now continue to broadcast news bulletins in 18 other languages. Welcome to you all to Fourth Estate. Thank you, Marlene. Thank you. Thanks, Marlene. Now, last week on the program, we discussed why radio is one of the most trusted sources of news. Why do you think radio is such a trusted source of news for culturally and linguistically diverse communities? David, I'll go to you first. Well, I'll start with one of the origin stories of SBS that I really love, and that is, um, and so legend goes, when there was a Turkish, uh, a, a, an Australian of Turkish descent who was a truck driver 
And, you know, in a busy Sydney intersection in 1975, was, you know, tuning into the, uh, the radio and heard Turkish being spoken through um, SBS and uh, jumped out of the car, stopped it in the middle of a busy intersection and then just kind of danced in the middle of the intersection because there was just so much joy in being able to listen to a familiar language of heritage for, for this person. We get feedback all the time from um, the over 60 language speaking communities that we have or that we service at SBS. And I think it's because radio um, and audio plays a, an important role in connecting people, not just with news and information and content and stories, but it plays a role in terms of a human voice that um, lowers loneliness, builds connections between people, and actually plays a role for wellness across the communities that, that might actually listen as well. So while SBS actually started off, um, also in terms of origin stories, um, to help with the rollout of Medibank or Medicare, in 1975, which was very much to help all parts of the community understand how the healthcare system, going to a doctor, going to a hospital might work for them and to keep all parts of the community healthy. SBS's role actually right now, and really interestingly during COVID, is also about keeping the community well, but also through the provision of timely accurate information to really support a vibrant and diverse democracy. And I will go very soon to talking about how multilingual news played such a vital role um, during the pandemic. But Kelly, I'll go to you um, first on that same question of why radio is such a trusted source of news, for especially for Indigenous communities. Yeah, well, I come from a background of working in Aboriginal radio for 25 years up here in the Northern Territory and recently well, in the last six years, moved across to the Aboriginal Interpreter Service for the Northern Territory Government. But the main thing that I noticed is Aboriginal people were uh, hearing their first language. Uh, English can sometimes be a fifth or sixth language uh, is, is a very big thing when you've got communities and uh, Indigenous communities that have uh, many, many different dialects, which I'm still learning and scratching the surface on now, working where I'm working, but seeing and hearing uh, music in their first languages and in radio, their own broadcasting in their first language uh, from the remote Indigenous broadcasting scheme, the RIBS, uh, all of those sorts of things, it is essential for them particularly to get their messaging uh, that often is not as well understood um, in their first language so they can understand exactly what is going on. So whether it might be health messaging, particularly we noticed for the COVID messaging when that all sort of started to roll out, people were not fully understanding the implications or the complications that were going to come through with just the vaccination mandate or the bubbles where people weren't able to travel to an adjoining community. So the importance of getting that in people's first languages so they really do understand uh, has a huge, huge, huge thing. Um, we noticed it also when it 
crosses the line into using interpreters that are certified and they've been trained so they have a code of ethics and they understand taking an English message and converting it into somebody's first language. It, it goes right across. And during COVID-19, we saw some shortcomings in the federal government's translated health information, with ABC reporting that some of the government's COVID-19 health advice was poorly translated or out of date, uh, one stage not being updated for eight weeks. But we did see community media and SBS step in to ensure that communities are well informed. Russell, the NEMBC created a multilingual news service in response to the pandemic. Could you tell us about how that news service started? Yes, so when the pandemic hit back in early 2020, we we realised that stations would be you know, have to close down because it couldn't have people come to the station. Many of our broadcasters would be remote um, broadcasting from home. So we realised there was an opportunity to, while they're at home, to start broadcasting. So, and there was a real, could be a real lack of multicultural news and information. So we tried to get funding from governments, but they had no money and everyone was scrambling. So we, off our own bat, we started a multilingual news service um, and, and using our membership base, our broadcasters. So within... We, we had eight languages to start with, and we started broadcasting in, in um, May 2020. And within three weeks, we were broadcasting like 175 plays a week across the country in those eight languages. So 175 news bulletins in eight languages um, in a week. And so it took off. It went, we went for four months like that. And then eventually the Victorian government Um, through their multicultural task force that they formed, picked us up and we started broadcasting daily in Victoria. We originally started for six weeks. They realised the value of what we were doing in Victoria and they would have funded us until August this year. So for two years, we've been broadcasting a daily multilingual news service in up to 16 languages, plus explainers, because we've realised the value that they needed to get information out really quickly on particular topics and explain the information. So we've produced over 30 explainers in 24 languages each time, um, when there's an emergency in Shepparton or emergency in the northern suburbs. And we distributed those primarily on radio stations, on radio programs. So we have about 80 plays a week in Victoria um, in the 16 different languages. Plus we use social media now because that's where we can really try to get down to um, get information where people are listening on their social media channels. And whereabouts are the news bulletins created and, and where do they broadcast to? And also just following through with that with Victoria, we finally picked up news a news service in New South Wales as well. So we've been doing a daily news service in New South Wales um, and doing explainers in New South Wales since January this year. And we'll be doing that for six months. Primarily they're played on radio stations. That was our focus. So we have about 13 community radio stations in Victoria um, that, that will play the programs on, on their radio station. So the programmers play it themselves and then we redistribute that to other language groups as well. Um, and also the similar things in, in New South Wales in 16 different languages, primarily on, on radio programs themselves. But we, we've had to set up a SoundCloud site. Um, we push the boundaries of a Facebook um, pages by distributing 80, 80 um, posts a week. Um, Facebook shut us down quite often thinking we're a robot. Um, because we're posting so much. 
um, but we use Twitter and we use WhatsApp groups as well. The Victorian government have a number of WhatsApp groups. So we will post um, on those WhatsApp groups the, the audio as well. And Kelly, can you tell us about the ABC Indigenous Language News Bulletins? How are they created? The ABC News, uh, there's a memorandum of understanding that the interpreter service has with the ABC up here in Darwin. And basically, we, my understanding, because it's been happening for longer than my tenure here, but initially there were three languages selected for their diversity and their spread in the Northern Territory. So it was Yulnumata, Walpri, and Creole. And at a time for a couple of years, it was being run daily. Um, and there would be four, four bulletins. There would be a local, uh, an intrastate and uh, national and overseas uh, bulletin that would be broadcast. But basically, they are created by the ABC selects the stories and they were sending them to us. We have a, had a linguist and a rescriptor on hand to basically convert the English text from a high level of English that a, a normal English person, uh, speaking person would be able to understand and converting it into what the AIS has coined as meaning-based interpreting scripts. So there might be wordings that need to be unpacked a little bit more for the interpreter to convert and convey in the best possible way that they can um, into the news bulletin. But once the rescriptor had worked their magic on that. It was sent back for approvals to the sub. And once that was approved, the interpreters who were on on standby would go in, we'd take them into the studio and record and get the quality checks done and send them back. Now, we will be talking about the, the types of considerations that you have to have when writing a script, an, an English script that will be interpreted into multiple languages. But firstly, I want to talk about an initiative that happened with SBS, and that is the, the live interpreting for COVID-19 press conferences, and also recently the live interpreting of the federal election debates this year. Do you see live interpreting becoming a more common initiative in the future? And I, I can imagine also it's not an easy feat, especially with a couple of those election debates where people were talking over each other. Indeed. And look, what Kelly's just kind of described in terms of a process of understanding a script and words to be meaning-based and then an interpreting script, and that needs to happen in terms of a live interpreting context instantaneously. It really is like... Um, uh, playing the Scottish bagpipes where you're breathing out and you're breathing in at the, exactly the same time. It's quite uh, something to watch and to observe and to listen in on. Um, the need for the community at the time of the Delta outbreak, this is considered, this was before the vac significant vaccination rollout and uh, there were some pretty dark times across the um, community um, and we set our watches at, during those months to press conferences which would come at 11 o'clock certainly from a New South Wales perspective and then um, from a Victorian perspective sometimes before or after that one um, to listen in on what was actually happening what were the, the infection rates which um, parts of the community 
or postcodes were being most affected by restrictions and what were the changed behaviours that were expected of the community in order to be safe. It was a daily proposition um, at that time. So uh, we really wanted to ensure that there was no opportunity for misunderstanding about what the chief medical officers might be saying, what the health advice and what the premier or, or our leadership might be saying with regards to all of those um, topics. So SPS rolled out, in fact, um, at one point in time, it was 10 concurrent languages distributed on social media, some distributed on um, radio as well, and some distributed on television, uh, just so that the message could get out there live and as quickly as possible um, without uh, a window of opportunity with regards to misinformation to enter into the sphere around uh, what the restrictions might be and what was happening with COVID to then quickly get out and um, be communicated out to the communities. And we had like over 2 million um, views of content on social media platforms alone of those press conferences. Fast forward to the election debates more recently, and you're right, absolutely fascinating to, to watch. Um, it is something that I think will play an important role going into the future. It's certainly got um, great feedback from the language speaking communities. And it really helps to be able to increase participation in our democracy and understanding of the core issues um, straight from the, the leaders' mouths. Um, there are absolute challenges that come with it. Um, and this is where a high degree of contextual skill, a high degree of linguistic skill needs to come into place. So while the debate was happening, there was discussion around a federal ICAC, and it was characterised as, you know, not wanting it to be a toothless tiger. Now, what does that actually mean? And how would might you actually interpret that in language? Well, in thinking about it very, very quickly, the Mandarin interpreter actually thought, well, actually, there is a phrase called paper tiger um, in Chinese, and it actually has exactly the same sentiment, the same meaning as what we mean in English by a toothless tiger. So it was very quickly swapped out. I tend to not talk about translation, but really much more about re-expression. And to, you know, Kelly's point and Russell's point as well, it's about understanding what the core messages are and then being able to wrap it in language and context, including cultural context, which is going to resonate with listeners and with audiences. Um, and going back to an earlier point around why audio and radio are so powerful is because literacy amongst a lot of the community, not just in English, but in um, first languages, is actually quite poor. And in fact, there are languages where there is no written form of that language. So it's very important to actually have that voice, to actually have that um, expression and distribution of audio. Agreed. I heard you agreeing there, Kelly. Did you have anything that you wanted to add there, especially um, at that point of um, not just translating, but in interpreting? the meaning of, of what's being said. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I agree. If I had a dollar for every time I've had clients ringing up and asking for the written word, which, um, like I've said many times over, 
whilst it's in development, Aboriginal languages, um, and I'm not the best, I'm not the most qualified person to speak linguistics, but um, the Aboriginal language never had a written to begin with. So what I've noticed up here is it's far more better offered as an auditory service than it is or visual and auditory than the written. Um, whilst there's a lot of uh, written word being developed, and I know down in Central Australia it's very strong, and there's a lot of communities up here in the Territory too that are doing that. Um, I know the Bible has been translated into into different languages. Um, it's just such a it is just such a difficult thing where if people have had the benefit of having a good education, as as mentioned before. Uh, the likelihood is being able to understand English as well. They'd be very lucky to be able to read their own uh, language written. So I think um, this, the demographic of people that have the benefit of having that um, versus the people that can, can hear and see is far greater. Can I, yeah, just to, just to add something to that as well, because what, what we had to start from was a base that, we started with an English script. We had to start from an English script to put the news out. So it was centralised. So, but each of the translators, producers have editorial control. So we try not to use the word paper tiger, for example, um, because we don't know how that will be translated in different languages, like Mandarin probably pick it up quite quickly. Um, in Dinka, I'm not quite sure how they do that. So, so we try to explain what paper tiger might mean um, in English. So we're unpacking, we're, we're making, for radio, you have to write really simply anyway. So you break it down to be simple, but we have to take it to another level where we actually try to unpack and explain it, but keep it simple as well and make sure that it goes, it can go slowly and be really understood. If it had to be really, really understood in that English for the actual the people to translate and produce it. And because we aren't we aren't using official translators, we're using people that are have been producing radio for, for decades. And that was a real challenge at the beginning. How is this going to work out? Is it going to work? Is there going to be mistakes? Um, you know, are we going to be picked up by other media as making mistakes? And we haven't through that whole time. It's been quite amazing because the, the people don't translate it like word for word they actually make it radio ready. So in their own language, they could take the words and make and have editorial control over that to make it understandable. And that was really important that they can then produce that and, and then translate that information to their own communities in their own way. And I think that's the important thing about um, the, the oral tradition that a lot of um, communities have, where they rely on the spoken word a lot. And that hearing that trusted voice from someone that they've listened to for many, many years, because a lot of these producers have been, have been producing programs for decades. So they're a trusted voice and they're giving information that's reliable, that's in their own language. So it makes a really big difference in an emergency to get that sort of information out. But it's been, it's, it's been challenging all the way to start something like this, but it's really has paid off in, in many regards that people, we've grown um, that whole time. Like I said, we started with six weeks, we'll be two years in Victoria, we'll be six months in New South Wales, and we've got funding now to start a national news service. So there's certainly, you know, there's there's a lot of need for that sort of information to be given out orally. And just to add to that, fact sheets are useful, and uh, but as Russell 
says it's the trusted voice and the trusted source that is important, especially in terms in times of um, emergencies. But add to that as well the real power of journalism and storytelling to get beyond the numbers or what the facts, the fact sheets might actually say about something like COVID. And um, to give you an example, during COVID, we had stories of people from around the world um, and their experiences of COVID. And in SBS Spanish, we had um, conversations about how people in Colombia were flying to the United States to get vaccinated. And, you know, in Australia here, it was free. And at times we were really working to encourage vaccination. Now it's through storytelling or journalism like that, that actually allows the audience to understand lived experiences of people in, in this case, Colombia, to really actually help change behavior and understand the context because Australia was living in a bit of a bubble at that point in time. So yeah, trusted voices as well as adding to stories well beyond a, a translation of fact sheets or, and a re-expression of, um, of that material. I can add to that as well. And I think, I don't know how David, you went or how, how you went, Kelly, with yours, but we developed a policy around editorial policy as well, that we were, our, our main goal was to inform communities so they can be safe and make informed decisions. So we really stayed away to, to have that narrative, that story of explaining things. We really want to stay away from polemical politics. And so we mm. focused on the issue and not the politician and not the person. So it was really important to, just because um, Scott Morrison said something or Anthony Albanese said something or the Greens said something, that was not the most important issue to put in the news. The most important issue was what they were saying so that the story becomes the issue of what's being said and not the people within that story. So you create this divide through that way. So we, we would always look at that and that became part of our policy and part of our process. Every time we went to tell the news, it's, it's more of a story. It's more of information than um, about the issues rather than the people. You're listening to Fourth Estate on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're talking about multilingual news with Russell Anderson, from NEMBC, David Waugh from SBS, and Kelly Bayless from the Aboriginal Interpreter Service. So journalists are guilty of using Australian slang, wordplay, complex languages and puns in our news. It's often encouraged. How can we ensure that news is accessible and inclusive to wider Australia? And should journalists balance using Australian language to connect with their audiences but also making their news easy to understand. David, I'll go to you first. I think it's a, a it's always a consideration for who your audiences actually are for any piece of content that you might actually be producing, delivering. And I don't think that it's necessary for journalists at all times to be thinking of everybody as being that that audience. And so, because then otherwise you'd just be extraordinarily uh, flat with uh, everything that you might actually be producing. So uh, colour, including colourful language, is f- is fine. I guess it's about that consideration point about who the audience actually might be and how it might be understood or misunderstood more broadly. 
Now, look, it's not just people who might be new to Australia who may not understand many of the Australianisms that uh, parts of the community might actually use. And in some cases, it's actually about introducing what is part of our identity, national identity or collective identity, through language and through terminology, which is bespoke to the Australian context, that actually makes us who we are. So I don't think that it's necessary to uh, dial down on that. Where it's um, useful, though, is to think about contextualising, and it doesn't actually take that much to use a certain term, and then comma, slight explanation of what that might mean, and then comma, continue on with what it is that you're, you're actually saying. Or to, in the case of audio, if a guest is actually make, using an Australianism, um, to just give it a little bit of a pause, make it a bit of a talking point for your audience, and then have an explainer in language about what that might actually be, or uh, explain that grab where it might be coming from a politician or a or a guest. I think it's the contextualising that can help with this because I know plenty of migrant and newer um, Australians who absolutely love to use the, the Australianisms that many of us also use to colour the way in which we communicate. Kelly, I'll just ask for a response for you on that aspect of contextualising, but also the considerations that journalism journalists can have in making sure that their news is also culturally appropriate and, mm. and has that contextualisation of the news for specific communities. Talking about the contextualising, I mean, I've seen so many different things happening here at AIS. We, obviously, we so we offer up to 18 different languages uh, to cover the Northern Territory. There's so many more sub-languages and dialects, obviously, that go under that. But it's really important that um, the, the correct context is grabbed because, you know, there's some languages that we've got here that you've got 14 different ways of saying the same thing. So it's really important for interpreters in particular where we are uh, fully understand the message, um, which... Our process is, you know, we sit down and brief them before we do any recordings with them. But also, unfortunately, we might have a request to do a 15-second grab and uh, it might be about something that is just not very easy to, to talk about. So, for example, mental health could be something, whereas it's conceptual. Um, I remember having a client that had something very short that they wanted to do and because it talked about something that you can't physically touch or see, we had to unpack it and make a comparison to something else. And it ended up turning into a, like a three-minute recording. So um, unfortunately, with Aboriginal languages, you have to make sure that it's fully explained. And the, sometimes it's a very roundabout way to try and explain it. But the cultural side of things, we've had journalists send us through stories which are normally considered in the English language quite standard, but uh, talking about NASA rockets and uh, going up into space and astronomy and, you know, uh, missile, nuclear, scientific terminology becomes very, very difficult. So often we have to either, sometimes you have to make a, a compromise and uh, interpreters will English borrow and you have to find some way to relate to it. But we might turn around and ask the the, the subs to give us a different story. It can become too difficult and just not feasible, uh, which is unfortunate, but it just goes back to the whole making sure people understand that there's 
elements of the English language that are just too difficult to convert. So I'll finish up by asking you all, what are your hopes for multilingual news in the future and reaching communities in Australia? Where are you hoping it's going to head towards? David, I'll go to you first. Sure. Australia is so incredibly multicultural and multilingual, and that includes our First Nations brothers and sisters and um, citizens. I think what's so exciting about the potential for Australian storytelling is that it isn't necessarily just about coming from a central source and being distributed in languages, but it's actually about the content gathering in those languages um, and from those communities that then get um, shared across diverse communities. You know, it's it's going to be so important for an organisation like SBS to actually help our Chinese-speaking audiences understand their Italian neighbours and understand their neighbours of um, Indian heritage and certainly First Nations heritage as well. And that's where you can actually get some great stories and great journalism um, that really helps build out a picture and a story that is about Australia's diversity, its multiculturalism, and builds on our sense of identity. And Russell, what about you? I, I agree with David. I think we need to recognise that Australia probably is a leader in the world of community information in multilingual, multicultural um, languages and cultures. If you the First Nations people have an incredible amount of community radio programs, community TV. Um, there's 450, I think, community licences um, around Australia. Um, and within the, the migrant community and new emerging communities, there's you know almost 100 different radio stations that will play 110 languages a week. Um, incredible. And I think they're delivering, we have to remember, they're delivering information in their own way to their own communities every day, every week. And there's thousands of them that, that are doing that, and that needs to be recognised. I think when you're talking about a news bulletin, um, what we've been doing and centralising that news bulletin, there's, that's a different way of viewing it. And I think certainly there's a need for news and possibly that centralised or a decentralised news system. And that's something that we hope to be keeping working with over the next year with a national news service that will be rolling out and certainly seeing how we could centralise that through English but also feedback in from our broadcasters to, to share that information more nationally um, rather than just be localised. Local is really important, but how we could be more sharing across those different language groups is really, really important. And certainly to, for the government and everybody to keep supporting our wonderful media diversity, multilingual media diversity that we have in Australia. And Kelly, what are your hopes for multilingual news in the future in Australia? From my perspective and where I'm working now at the Aboriginal Interpreter Service, it'd be fantastic to be able to see uh, so many more languages available in in a news service where you've got some communities that have, have some definite crossover and understanding. They, they might be sister languages, but you might have a, an adjacent community that is it's completely apples and oranges. So it would be lovely to be able to see that. We just need more interpreters. <laughs> On that note, I'd like to thank David Waugh, Russell Anderson and Kelly Bayless for being on Fourth Estate. Thank you, Marlene. Thank you, Marlene, and thank you, David and Kelly. 
Thank you. Great to meet thanks, you, Russell. Guys. Thanks, yeah, Kelly. Nice and thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to our executive producer, Anthony Dockerell. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for listening. <laughs>